0: Is he based on any kind of urban legend or, or kind of a, a, a your own creation?
1: Uh, well, it, it, it was very much influenced by the legend of the Sandman. Now, in the development process, initially, it was much more a dream creature. It was much more sort of Freddy Krueger where it would sort of mm-hmm. take on these nightmarish images and, and everyone encountering with the Sandman would sort of be tailored to their own individual dreams and, and you know, as that script progressed, uh, I thought, you know, I, I, I said to myself, I've seen this before. Mm. This is nothing new. We, we, we've done this. Um, And so, you know, about halfway through, I kind of went back and reconceived what what our approach to the Sandman was to make it much more personal for Mm -hmm. one specific character.
0: Yeah. That is Peter Sullivan kicking off my month of horror podcast here on Sci-Fi Talk with the Sandman, not to be confused with Neil Gaiman's fantasy. This Sandman is attached to one particular person, in this case, a small girl that comes from her nightmares. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Here's more with Peter Sullivan. And, and what was it like to, to kind of uh, come up, to, essentially, to what he looks like and, and that process?
1: Uh, very interesting. Uh, when we started, uh, it was it was going to be much bulkier. Uh, I think uh-huh. uh, some of the powers that be saw the name Sandman and were thinking much more in terms of a rock creature. So if you imagine something like the Thing from the Fantastic Four mm. or uh, one of the rock creatures in the Power Rangers or something like that, or big and bulky and 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 you know a lot more sediment and that sort of thing. And uh, I you know we we did a couple designs uh, with that. and And we realized that that was not going to be effective, both from a production standpoint and also from a scare standpoint. To have this lumbering thing coming after you, it's just kind of silly. So uh, we went sleeker. Uh, It took a lot of the same design elements, but but turned it into a much more aerodynamic uh, uh, figure. And I worked very closely with uh, a wonderful uh, creature designers uh, and creators, uh, uh, George Truster and Sig Newton, and created this iteration.
0: My conversation about the sad Man, part horror film, urban legend, and fantasy, on Sci-Fi Talk continues in a moment. Good cast. Uh, I mean, uh, a a horror stalwart in Tobin Bell. Uh, (laughs) Is there a chance he's playing a good guy in this for a change?
1: Uh, you know, I don't want to give away any plot twist, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that, um, you know, I always keep in mind when I'm doing a film like this is that the audience has seen the same film that I have. They've read the same books that I have. Uh, uh, they have the same cultural influences. So I can play with expectations because I know, oh, Tobin Bell is going to be in this movie. Well, clearly he's going to be this, you know, horrend- you know horrific villain. Uh, and I can play with that. Um, and that's, all. <laughs> that's about as much as I want to give away yeah. uh, until you get the chance to see the movie.
0: You know, what's intriguing to me is the uh, mother and daughter relationship in this. Uh, H- H- Haley Duff uh, playing the mom and young Shay Smolik, uh, who, from what I've seen, you know, really brings it to the screen. Uh, kind of talk about that aspect of, of the uh, film.
1: When we decided that we wanted to to keep this creature specific to the character of Madison, what shade? Yeah. Plays, uh I realized that we we needed to have the heart. That this was very important and originally the character that uh, uh, Haley plays was very different and I thought, well, okay, well that's you know, the dynamic is there, but you know what it's not much of a journey for her and so it came out of uh, you know a dramatic desire to create an interesting arc from a character who absolutely is not ready to be a mother shouldn't be a mother, shouldn't even go near your kid and then, you know, throughout the course of the movie becomes a strong mother figure and we had worked with Haley before, I'd done a Christmas movie with with her uh, a number of years ago. Uh, Absolutely fantastic actress. Um, Loved working with her. You know, she's she's now a mother herself. I knew that she would bring that dynamic Mm -hmm. um, because I felt with Tobin and Amanda, you know, we had the the, the horror world taken care of. I needed somebody to to take care of the humanity.
0: Now, as far as the Sandman himself, I don't want you to give away any secrets, but did you kind of mix up like prosthetics and, and also CGI a little bit?
1: Yeah, no, that was a, a great testament to, again, uh, George and Sig. I can't say enough, uh, great things about these guys, and, and it's just so wonderful. Originally, it was going to be much more CG. It was sort of, you know, let's create, uh, uh, something that can be on set physically, but then we will augment the heck out of it in post. And when they, when we started seeing the suit come together, and then when Mick, who plays the creature, uh, put the suit on, we saw the Sandman exactly the way we wanted it to be, physically. So all of a sudden, the CG... You know, became, you know, much less, uh, important and, and we were able to rely much more on having that physical creature, which, you know, again, a throwback to the, to the great, you know, horror movies of, of the 80s where, you know, the villain is a, a man there physically on set, whether it's Jason or Michael or, yeah. you know, Freddie. Uh, these were real people that were, you know, on set with your victims and, and, you know, the, the there's just no substitute.
0: No, there really isn't. And Mick actually, Mick Ignis, who plays the Sandman, has a lot of experience kind of being in makeup and performing in makeup. So that was good to have somebody who kind of knew his way around that world.
1: And he's so wonderful, and he he's such a fan as well, and he, you know, as as word of the film has spread and interest has grown, I mean, he, is just, he gets more excited about all this than anybody. He just absolutely <laughs> loves everything about what he does, mm-hmm. and I think that translates onto the screen.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Is I, I think there's kind of like a movement kind of going on right now, where uh, talking to directors uh, you know, that have films that feature a creature or supernatural or otherwise, there's a a movement to kind of do it more where there is a physical being on the set and then augmenting that with CGI and, you know, obviously the movie It, did that extremely well, how they combined both, and it seems to work the best. As a creature, we're all CGI. We're kind of used to seeing it, and we can kind of spot it these days. Uh, Oh, absolutely. So do you feel that's something that, uh, going forward, you're going to be doing a lot more of?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's been a a process. So it it started, uh, uh, so before we did... um, uh, Crooked Man. Uh, I directed a film called Ominous, oh, and yeah. and Ominous had a lot of sort of CG creature elements. There were there were birds and and all sorts of things. And I felt that my favorite shots in the film were the ones that involved. Uh, an actual man in a mask, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, or creature makeup, which was done in that film by uh, Vincent Questini, another wonderful effects uh, artist. So sort of learning from that experience when we went ahead to Crooked Man, and then we discussed what should the Crooked Man be a CG creation, you know, heavily advocated. No, this should be a, you know, we can do some some stuff to, you know, maybe make him a little bit more crooked (laughs) in in post, but no, this should be a man in a suit, and it was, again, so Wonderfully uh, effective that when it came to this film, so it's sort of been a growing process that we sort of, okay, we tried more of a CG route and weren't thrilled, so now we're trying to back off uh, as much as we can.
0: And from an acting standpoint, it's a lot easier to act with somebody else on the set than, than essentially a tennis ball, like happens a lot of times.
1: It, it it is, but it's also it's also interesting because you, you know Mick is such a wonderful guy. Even when he's wearing the suit, you just love him, and he's so friendly. And so, I mean, we 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 get some really funny pictures of, of him and the cat hanging out on set. You know, and I, there's one picture in particular that I have somewhere. You know, he's holding a teddy bear. It's just the it's just the funniest thing. Um, because it, it, uh, yes. But the converse the converse of that is that you get used to to Mick, and you have to remember. It, oh, wait a minute. No, this is Gary Mick now, uh, not, not finally Teddy Bear Mick.
0: And how long was your shoot? Uh, the shoot was, uh, about a month. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you you did a lot in very little time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> and then, uh, what was the turnaround? How long did it take you to post this?
1: Uh, we, we shot it in the spring so say a couple months. I mean, we were very cognizant of, of the fa- I mean look even though we had this wonderful suit and we had the you know and we had Mick and, and all of these sort of secret weapons uh, we still had almost about 200 effect shots in the mm, film Wow. Uh, CG and and so we we were very cognizant uh, when we were doing the schedule that we would need uh, a couple of months for those teams to, to do the work and I ended up being two teams working on it get it all done in time and Synaptic uh, uh, did all the fan effects with made did such a great job and uh, once we finally uh, sort of agreed on an approach and there was you know several different tests and and we actually shot tests before we even filmed the film uh, uh before we shot a frame of the movie we, oh, cool. we had mick put the suit on and we shot it and sent it over and said okay this is what it's going to look like this is how we're going to light it what can you do with knowing that uh, probably three to four uh, maybe three months
0: uh, you know for for post time Let's take a break talking with Peter Sullivan of his film, The Sandman. You know, with these type movies and, you know, just watching, you know, the the, the sneak peek and a little bit of the trailer, it just seems like, you know, the use of shadow is and, and lighting is so important in these movies mm-hmm. to really create that mood and that tension. I, I guess you had to work a little bit with your DP on that to kind of get the right look because you want to, if you show too much, obviously, it's going to... Mm-hmm. Kill the mood, so to speak.
1: Yeah, no, we did. Uh, Aton uh, did a film uh, for us earlier this year that I, I was not a director on. I, I was a writer and producer on it. That's a, uh, a, a really cool kind of '80s biopic. Um, that'll be on next year. And while we were working on that, we, we you know we would talk about uh, you know films that we really liked, and and we both really really liked horror film. And so when this project came up, I called him and, and said, hey, is this something you'd be interested in? And uh, he was you know extremely excited. I mean, I, I did a shot list, but we would literally go through every single scene shot by shot, you know, in the office ahead of time. You know, sometimes acting scenes out if necessary, mm. um, li- talking about, well, you know, we could have, you know, the, the light come from over here and then the camera goes over there and, and really plan it out meticulously so that, it you know, we, we made the best we could of the time and budget and everything.
0: So when you sit down to write this, uh, I guess uh, it's pretty much a—you know—they call writing the solitary profession. Is that do you? I guess do you do you write like you can write on tablets now, even your phone, if you want to, uh, or do you primarily just kind of block time and just go at it?
1: It depends on the project. I, I mean, I'll, I'll, so I'll give you a funny example. So this this particular film, *Fan Man*, uh, I was working on the script while we were shooting this this. Uh, biopic uh, early this year that I was producing, and so literally every day I would come to set with my iPad and I had gotten uh, a keyboard to, to attach to it, and and I would literally go in every day and say, okay, which actor isn't showing up, so I can go into their trailer. And and work on the script for Sandman, and and so you know I would disappear for a couple hours every day, uh, just trying to to steal any time I could uh, to work on the script, and and so a lot of this was written on an iPad in a corner somewhere, wow. uh, just kind of you know doing what I can. Uh, it is different. I mean, the film that I just finished or, to rewrite for for one of the Christmas movies. You know, I mean, I would go into my office every day and 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 work on it. You know, uh, you know, and then if if crunch time, you, you know, you start doing it at home as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, weekends, evenings, that kind of thing. And and I think the the more up against the deadline. You, you are the more you disappear from life. Hey, what happened to Peter? Where, where did he go?
0: <laughs> you know. Well, that's multitasking. I'll tell you, you got it, <laughs> you got it down. Uh, it's amazing how you can kind of shift from project to project. And what am I directing today? You know, that kind of thing. Well,
1: I, I gotta say I like it because uh, uh, the projects are so different from one another. Yeah, I mean, sure. li- you know, I, I went, I went from Sandman. Uh, I mean, literally, I think, I think we had wrapped the film a, a week, and I was in, in pre-production on a Christmas film, uh, and and it's, I mean, so different. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a family-oriented romantic comedy. Uh, uh, you know, with a also with a, a little girl, um, but in a very different way. Yeah. And and it, it, it allows you to kind of reset sometimes, like, so you don't get stuck in one sort of thing. It's like, okay, now I can put that away and I'm going to go into something completely different. And then when that's finished, I'm going to put that away and go into something, you know, completely different again.
0: Is this going to see the light as a DVD eventually?
1: It will, uh, cool. uh, after the, after the, uh, the first of the year at some point, uh, January, February, uh, uh, Lionsgate will be releasing it on video. Nice. And, uh, the video version has a couple of additional scenes, oh, cool. uh, in the, uh, in the end credits. So, oh, uh, nice. keep an eye out for that.
0: As a filmmaker, what do you think about, you know, before we wrap here, about, mm-hmm. The different platforms now that you can essentially get your films shown, and you know, I think what's actually revolutionized it a lot is on demand and how mm-hmm. a lot of films are available there that maybe wouldn't see a long extended uh, theatrical release. Uh, I think it's
1: I think it's fantastic um, because. I've seen the evolution when I when I first started in this in this business it was uh, you know doing TV movies um, you know there were a lot more networks showing them they were you know the, the, the budgets were very different and I've sort of seen the ebb and flow yeah. and I've seen you know the growth and storytelling in, in television where you know uh, you know television had gone from something that was sort of avoided by you know there was sort of a, a divide between the feature world and the television world and now I think some of the best stories They're being told on television, and then you know that is now making its way into the you know the streaming world. Yeah, Um, you know which with with great shows on on Netflix. I I was on the last Christmas movie I did. I, I you know, at night I would binge watch um, <laughs> uh, *Handmaid's Tale*. Um, there you go. You know, and and uh, that sort of thing. And now, you know, we just had the uh, the new *Star Trek*. Uh, That's that right. On, um, which I, I saw the uh, the the first episode on CBS and went and signed up for the CBS All Access so I could see the uh, the second half. Yeah. Um And I and I could tell that there was a definite decision to move away from sort of the episodic nature of the other Star Treks into Mm -hmm. something that's much more of a, a, you know, a giant movie. um, which looks that way.
0: So, yeah, it does does look that way, but, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, I I enjoyed it. Uh, You know, uh, it was... uh, I liked the characters a lot. You know, to have, like, two women front and center, I thought that was awesome. Mm -hmm. And a big fan of both of them. Uh, So, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do, and uh, I didn't know Spock had a "Quote unquote sister," but that's okay. Well,
1: the, the, the question is, does Spock know? <laughs> Spock know? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> we'll never know. Uh, I, I can, they can't merge those two universes the way they, they're doing it, no. those two generations. But yeah, it is. A, it's a fantastic uh, world right now. Do you worry, like, like people maybe seeing your films on their phone, for example? Is that, I mean, some filmmakers despise that because you would lose the big screen experience.
1: You know, uh, uh, at this point, uh, I mean, we've talked about it, uh, and I've never approached anything with that in mind, like, oh, somebody might be watching this on the TV, so let me get a tighter shot or something like that. I I know people that have. I, I feel that you know the more people that can see your film, whether it's on a phone or an iPad or an iMac screen, yeah, you know, uh, uh, the better. Yeah. Um. I I you know I, I know that uh, you know there are purists, Christopher Nolan, and and you know who very much you know want to see their films on the big screen and the biggest screen possible. And um, you know, perhaps if I was in his position, I would feel the same way. But you know, I feel very fortunate to be doing what I'm doing and to have the opportunity that I do have and so anytime somebody watches one of my films uh, whether it's you know on a phone or, mm-hmm. or on a watch yeah. um, I consider that a win
0: The Sandman is available for rent or buy from Redbox Google Play, Amazon Vudu and YouTube and Sci-Fi Talk Plus is offering a free lifetime subscription offer yes it's free all you have to do is click on the show notes and you can enroll for a lifetime This is Tony Talato. Thanks for listening.